Good evening once again and welcome to Pigeon Post. Um, you're catching me on the drive home and yesterday I was headed to Sprouts and recorded that episode, Why Read the Bible, part one. And today I have to go to the grocery store again. <laughs> we go to the grocery store a lot. I think we spend most of our money on food, which I'm not complaining, it's a good thing. Um, but anyway, so I'm headed to uh, King Supers, which, side note, it's starting to sound normal to me, so I think I'm becoming a Coloradan, okay? Because when I first got here, King Supers, what is that? Why is Supers spelled wrong? Um, why does the logo look like 1983 in a bad way? Um, yeah, didn't, totally didn't get it. Um, still don't get it. It just, it's so funny how things become normal, you know? Um, <laughs> I guess you could kind of relate this to things that we believe, you know, like if you, if you believe something for long enough and then somebody else sees it and they're like, that's crazy. You believe that? Uh, but anyway, I don't want to go too far into that analogy. King Supers, it's weird, but now it's normal because I go there a lot. Um, so why read the Bible part two? Well, first of all, I had to listen to the podcast from yesterday just to kind of, I was very meandering, kind of wandering around. Um, but I think it was good. There were some things that kind of came out that, that I liked, um, and I think needed to be said. So if you want a really highly organized podcast, you should go to like Ligonier or something like that. Um, and you'll get very organized teaching. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not really trying to necessarily teach you. Uh, this is supposed to be more like a conversation, uh, or thinking out loud. So just kind of thinking through things um, together. So yesterday, some of the main points um, that I think were useful was the Bible has to fit together as a cohesive whole. So the minute that you start taking parts out, you've destroyed the integrity of the Word of God because you're not listening to what we'd say is the whole counsel of God. So if you start chopping up what Jesus said and saying, I like this and I don't like that, um, that's a problem, you know. And um, I think that's the problem with some books. I think Christian books, you know, in general are a good thing. But some Christian books um, just tend to be so slanted. Um, and so you want to find teaching that really uh, emphasizes the entire counsel of God, like everything that God has said from Genesis to Revelation. And um, yeah, so we talked about that in relationship to, we don't want to take the red letters and say these mean more. And so I won't rehash that, but that's what we talked about yesterday. You want every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And then we talked about how the Bible is um, this corrective thing to us it, sh it it shows us and testifies like how we should really feel and really be um, so we see the truth in the Bible and sometimes there's a conflict 
between our hearts and what the Bible says. And that's the place that we should dig in because I think that's the place that God wants to do his work. I mentioned Ligonier, so I've heard this from R.C. Sproul, um, that the verses in the Bible, the parts of the Bible that you are most uncomfortable with are probably, or the, the ones you don't like, are probably the ones where you need to hang out and, and let God change your heart um, to be more like Him. Um, so yeah, we talked about those heart issues. And so let's kind of just walk through what, what does the Bible consist of? Maybe somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, so the Bible, you mean like this old book that has a bunch of irrelevant stuff in it. So, um, and it's, I think it's normal to feel that way. When I was in my twenties, I would, I would have called myself a Christian. Um, if you want to hear my story, there's an earlier podcast called Michael's Story. Uh, I would have called myself a Christian, but um, things were definitely not right in my heart. But when I would open the Bible during those periods, I would try to read something and it seemed really irrelevant to me and uh, didn't make sense. Like, why do I need to know this? Um, one of the things that, and this kind of came later, even after my awakening, if you want to call it that, uh, one of the things that really has changed my life and that's not an exaggeration. It has changed my spiritual life. It has made many things become super duper clear. It tends to put things in their right place, their right magnification, and not blow other things out of proportion. And that is that the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is in some way, shape, or form, probably more than we've been taught about Jesus. So the entire Bible is about Jesus. So we have to start by saying, hey, we have to take this whole book. Yeah, we have to take this whole book. But then people still say, ah, oh, the Old Testament, it's not really important. In fact, the Old Testament, that was basically like a different, almost like a different God. He was angry and then Jesus came and now, you know, Jesus is sort of the nice part of God and it really sets the Father against the Son, this kind of thinking. And it also makes the Old Testament to seem completely irrelevant. So, um, how do we keep the Bible unified? Well, we keep the, the Bible is unified. We don't have to keep it unified. It is unified, excuse me, through the person and work of Jesus. Um, excuse me. So, so here's the deal. When, when you want to learn about Jesus, a lot of people go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those tell you uh, about the life on earth of Jesus and what he said and what he did, right? But when we think that way exclusively, we tend to think, well, Jesus didn't do anything before Matthew chapter 3 or whatever it is, you know, when Jesus gets mentioned doing things. Um, and that's not true. And that's the mind-blowing thing is that Jesus actually is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. He didn't become the Son of God when he came to the earth. He always was the Son of God. And he was always at work even in the Old Testament. And so this kind of thinking of like, 
Jesus didn't do anything, that stuff's not relevant. There's even people, um, which I know this is a whole side topic, but there's even people who believe that the Old Testament was kind of like, and I believe this growing up, it was the way, I, I don't think I was explicitly taught this, but it was kind of the message that I got was that in the Old Testament, there was law and people were saved they were made right with God by keeping the rules of the law. In the New Testament, things are a lot easier for us now because we don't have to follow the law because we're saved by believing in Jesus. And there are a lot of problems with that. <laughs> there, there are a lot of problems with that view. Um, the Bible, people were saved in the Old Testament by grace through faith. And people were saved in the New Testament by grace through faith. People in the Old Testament were looking forward in faith um, and didn't even have a perfectly clear picture of that necessarily, but were looking forward to the one that was to come and make things right. And that was Jesus. And people in the New Testament, um, or at least us, rather, New Testament was kind of happening when Jesus was there, right? But then after that, uh, the letters of the apostles and such, and then now we look back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So it's one sacrifice for sin, and that's Jesus. The blood of the animals when they would do sacrifices in the Old Testament, that didn't really take away sin. It was a picture of the one that was to come and take away sin uh, for real. And that was Jesus. So, so now you see that all those things in the temple that were happening in the Old Testament were really uh, what we would call like shadows and types. So in the Old Testament, there's a lot of uh, imagery that is showing us what Jesus is going to be like when he comes. And it was showing them. Jesus expected people during his time period when he was on the earth to know that the Old Testament was about him. He rebuked people for not knowing the Old Testament. Um, if you uh, get a reference Bible, uh, which I highly recommend, especially a New King James or an ESV, because I like their references, because they're very focused on showing um, how the New Testament uses the Old Testament. So if you took out the references in and I mean like quotations, you know, citations, uh, places where the New Testament, I mean, even in the Gospels, is referring to the Old Testament. It's, the Old Testament is foundational. It's, it's prophesying and telling us who Jesus will be, what he will be like, uh, what he will do. And so it wasn't this brand, Jesus wasn't coming with this brand new thing um, that nobody had ever heard of before. Um, and yet, people seemed to not get it. And so he did have to explain it to them. And we have the benefit of having both the Old and the New Testament and seeing how it all fits together. Um, so I don't want this entire episode to be about that because I, honestly I'm not prepared to do that right now. I'd have to think about that a lot more. Um, but what I would do want to do is just kind of walk through um, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And when I say that, I mean really run through it, okay? 
Um, because I've got maybe 20 minutes or so before I'm at the store here. Um, so, if we were to open the Bible, the first book we would see is Genesis. And Genesis tells the story of creation, tells the story of the flood, and um, I believe that all those things really happen because we're supposed to read the Bible like we would read any other book. And they're presented to us as historical accounts. So unless something is presented to us as a story, uh, we shouldn't make it, you know, uh, figurative language if that's not what it is. So like when you're reading a parable that Jesus is telling a story of a certain man did this or that, um, it's clear that Jesus is telling a story that has a meaning and he's not necessarily recounting history. And yet the Gospels are recounting history. Luke tells us very clearly that he's writing these things so that we might know what really happened. So within Luke or any of the Gospels, Jesus might be telling a story that's not literal, but then there are times where Jesus is being literal because he's referring to real people in the Old Testament and what was happening with those people. Um, so he says something like, before Abraham was, I am, which is just a magnificent statement of like how he existed before even Abraham, who was way in the Old Testament. But he's referring to Abraham as a real person. Um, the, the statement would be nonsense to say, before this fictitious person was, I am, right? Um, he's, made, he's locating Abraham in history and saying, before that happened, I am. And so uh, when things are presented to us uh, as history, I think we should read them as such. Um, so I read Genesis as history. I think it's a historical account. Um, I don't see a problem with that. I don't, I don't really get why people, uh, some people will wait until Genesis 12 and say, well, this this is where the real history starts. And I just think that's really not being honest with the book. I mean, if you're afraid that the book is going to conflict science, okay, maybe it's going to conflict science. Maybe it's all a bunch of hogwash. Why don't you let it, let it say what it says and see how it all pans out? Um, or maybe there's things in science that we don't fully understand. Or maybe there's assumptions that we're making that really it's not a problem at all it's just stuff that we don't know and um, so yeah why would Abraham be the first real person in the Old Testament and everybody else like Noah and Adam just be sort of fictitious people is that how Genesis reads I would challenge you to read it and see it doesn't read like that it reads like history it has genealogies and those genealogies are recounted in some fashion in Matthew and Luke and if Abraham is said to have had this father and this father, why would it, and this father before him or whatever, this grandfather, right? Why would Abraham's, why would Abraham have a genealogy with fictitious people in it? It doesn't really make any sense. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't gaps in those genealogies and you might say that somebody was your father and they were really your grandfather. Um, that's not a lie. That's just the way that they talked back then and the way they did genealogies. Um, so I'm not saying that you can like pinpoint the age of the earth or anything like that. Um, although I do think there, it just it reads like it's just 
that's what's happening. There's not like this big mystery. Um, so anyway, when we start in Genesis, I think we're in history. We're in historical books. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't read like myth. Um, the only thing that remotely, uh, and I can understand people wanting to mythologize or whatever, um, maybe Adam and Eve, the only thing that really even reflects um, anything mythical or sounds like, oh, what, is like when the serpent is talking, right? But we have to understand that things were different at that point in time. Adam and Eve, in some sense, uh, I mean, they were the first people, so we often wonder, like, why isn't Eve, like, concerned that a serpent is talking? But then when we start reading the rest of the Bible, we see that sometimes God makes animals talk. It happens at least one other time um, in the Bible. And so strange things do happen in the Bible, but that doesn't mean that it's being presented as this myth. You know, like, Adam and Eve don't grow wings and fly away. And, it, you know, it doesn't become this, this just fantastical story. It actually just seems like normal, you know. Um, they, they have kids. The kids sin as well, right? One of them kills the other one. And so we immediately enter into the drama of the Bible and how, uh, you know, we have this, we're meant to have this relationship with God. We're walking with God in the garden. And then sin enters the picture and starts jacking everything up. Um, so when you walk through Genesis, you see these big names, right? Uh, Adam, Noah, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Um, and that kind of takes you through Genesis. And then Moses kind of comes onto the scene in Exodus. And the rest of those five books are essentially about Moses and the nation of Israel. Um, so we've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Really interesting books. So Joshua's this military conquest, and Judges is about how things keep going wrong with the leadership uh, coming back to get the nation right, and they do what's right in their own eyes. Um, Ruth is this great little story. You can almost read Ruth even if you don't read anything else. Just pick up the book of Ruth. It's four chapters. It's a wonderful love story with lots of cool little cultural um, snippets that are like, wow, that's really cool. I didn't know that they did that back then. Um, so you have the nation of Israel. You have these uh, vignettes of these real people within the nation of Israel. Um, you see through the scripture that sin is the problem. You see that the people, you know, when you get into the, the kings, talking about the kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, um, that that the kings will not lead the people well. This is very relevant to us, right? We have leadership that doesn't lead well um, all the time, you know, not just currently. Uh, and we, our longing becomes for the person who is going to make these things right. Where is the real king? The one who's going to make things right. And for a while it seems like it's David. But even David can't live forever. David can't go without sinning. Uh, David can't defeat death, you know, and defeat every one of his enemies. And we have Solomon who has all the riches, but he can't control his own heart and his own lust. 
And so we go through the kings. And then there's uh, the prophets basically kind of end the Old Testament. And right in the middle of that, we've got the Psalms, which are the songs of the nation of Israel that sort of summarize all of the Old Testament. And all of the Psalms point to Jesus in a really special way. So the Psalms are really cool when you, uh, when you learn about how they're about Jesus. Um, so that's kind of the Old Testament is it's really long. You have really long books, uh, really long prof prophetical books like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. And I'm not going to claim to have these mastered. There's chapters of those books that I've never even read or don't remember reading <laughs> um, as I've tried to make my way through all of that. But the good news is that even though we do have to take the Bible as a whole, if there's a couple of chapters you haven't read or a book in the Old Testament you haven't read, you're not going to be hamstrung. But what's going to happen is the picture is just going to become more and more clear to you. Um, so you do want to hang out in the Old Testament, but you also want to read the New Testament because the New Testament explains the Old Testament. So Jesus is the lens through which you read the entire Bible. So you don't just read the Gospels, you read uh, the book of Kings, the book of Chronicles with your eye towards Jesus. And... Um, like I said, that particular topic is for another episode, but just kind of walking through the Bible, like the Old Testament, that's what you can expect, is this narrative of the history of the world, and then it zooms in and turns into the history of Israel, and then of course it zooms in even more in the New Testament and the Gospels, and it turns into the history of, or the narrative of Jesus. So it's all funneling to Jesus. And what's cool is in Acts, it funnels back out again. And the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did and who he is goes to Israel. And some of Israel is saved. And then the good news goes out to the other parts around Israel. And then to all the earth and all the known world. And the gospel is still going out even right now. So it becomes about the church, what Jesus is doing through the church. And it's unified so that the same Jesus um, that led Israel out of Egypt um, is also leading us right now. He is the good shepherd in the Old and in the New Testament. And he has one people. And those people, whether they're Israel or now including the church, um, you know, I believe that the church essentially is Israel. It's not that we have replaced Israel. Some people hate that what's called replacement theology idea. It's not so much that we've replaced Israel. It's that, like Paul says in Romans, we've been grafted into the tree so, or the vine. We're part of the actual people of God. And so the church is the fulfillment of true Israel. The church is the fulfillment of the offspring of Abraham that, that God promised Abraham. And so the more that you get into it, the more that you see that it's not this disconnected mess, but actually this beautiful tapestry that's woven together. And when you look on one side of that tapestry, it just looks like a mess. But when you turn it over, that's like, for me, that turning over is understanding that it's all about Jesus. And then you're looking at the right side of the tapestry. You're looking at the one that has woven all of these strands together 
and created this beautiful picture, which is the glory of Christ. It's what the entire Bible is about, is the glory of God in Christ Jesus and the plan of redemption. So that the ugly parts of the Bible, just like the ugly parts of our life, the sin, the wickedness that we see, we see sinners redeemed. We see sin paid for through Christ. We see justice and, and um, God's wrath being poured out against sin, both in Christ and for those who do not repent and believe uh, in hell, in, in the judgment of God. Um, so the Bible basically unfolds an entire worldview not just in a historical sense, like this is where we came from, this is where we're going. It does answer those questions. Um, so, so many people are looking for the answers to those questions. Who am I? Where have I been? Where am I going? And people look up uh, and you know send their DNA to to ancestry.com or whoever is doing those things, you know, those family tree things. And they think, oh, if I figure out that I'm, you know, Celtic, that helps me know who I am. And to some degree, I totally understand that, right? Um, but listen, who you are is seen in God's book. He shows us that we're just like Adam and Eve, that we're sinful. He shows us that we deserve the wrath that was brought about at the time of Noah. That's what we deserve. And yet he offers us, us the ark to get into the ark, which is his redemption in Christ. He shows us that we are slaves to sin in Egypt, and yet he will bring us out. He will lead us out like a good shepherd into a good land, even though it's going to be hard on the way. He shows us that he is the good king, that he is the good judge, that he is the prophet who knows the difference between right and wrong and will correct his people. And this is why when you read the Old Testament and you know this, the anticipation just builds and builds. It's like anticipation that builds up to some event that you're looking forward to, like some major event like a child being born or a wedding day or something like that. Anticipation is building because you know what's happening in the Gospels is that Jesus is coming to right all the wrongs. Jesus is coming to be the perfect king that Israel didn't have. Jesus is coming to do what Adam couldn't do. He couldn't protect Eve. He couldn't stop himself from sinning. Jesus is coming to fulfill all the detailed laws of God which please him. Jesus is coming to be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is coming to, to be all of those things. There's a great video. Um, I can't remember the name of the guy who made it, but it's based on, I think, a Tim Keller sermon. Um, but it's called The True and Better. Um, so I think if you go to YouTube and type in Jesus, True and Better, uh, it should come up. And it, it explains that Jesus is the true and better of all these shadows and types in the Old Testament. And so then, by the time you get to the New Testament, once again, people want to hang out in the Gospels. And that's great. It's great to hang out in the Gospels. But don't forget that Jesus has ascended and exalted to the right hand of God. That he is king right now, ruling and reigning over the universe, 
holding all things together by the word of his power and that God is putting all enemies under Jesus' feet. And so if you fail to read the book of Revelation just because you think it's weird <laughs> and you don't have to believe uh, everything that's in the Left Behind books, by the way, but there is a lot of imagery in Revelation. It's it's written that way, right? We talked about like, is, is it written as history? Is it written as as imagery? And a lot of Revelation is written as imagery, like very clearly. Um, as, and that's where the Old Testament helps out as well, that that prophetic imagery that we see in the, in those long prophetic books that, you know, that's hard to get through, um, is seen again in revelation, right? So, um, but what revelation shows us that Jesus is exalted. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the first and the last. It has a very high view of Jesus. Jesus is not just a good moral teacher. He is a moral teacher. That's great, but he's not a moral teacher to the exclusion of his kingliness, his his kingly reign over all things. So that is kind of my best attempt at putting Genesis to Revelation kind of like in a nutshell. I hope that it whets your appetite to start thinking about reading the Bible if you haven't or to read it more and to read it through the lens of Christ. And so I'll have to talk more, um, you know, about what that means to read something through the lens of Christ. You really, if you look up, um, I don't remember what the podcast is called, but it's made by Ed Clowney and Tim Keller. Um, and Ed Clowney's dead now, but Ed Clowney is a great teacher, um, who taught about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the old Testament. He really helps you um, kind of see that. And if you don't quite buy into that, um, read Luke 24 and see what Jesus says about himself and the old Testament. So thanks for listening. Um, this, this one was a little more focused. I'm not sure what we're, where we will go next. Um, but if you would send me any comments or questions, or if you want to be on the podcast, I'd love to talk to you. Um, uh, or if you want to send me an audio clip of a question or a response or something like something you want me to respond to or put on the next podcast, really anything about the Bible, anything that you um, that you want to talk about. Not because I have a bunch of answers. I don't. I'm not a scholar. Uh, but just because I like talking about it. And I think that if average people would press in more to what the Word of God says, that Christians would be more unified and that Jesus would be getting his his glory that we need to get him. Um, not that we need to get him glory. That, that didn't sound right. <laughs> but he already has all the glory. But we need to recognize it in our hearts and worship him uh, for who he is and what he's done. And I think that if we, if we really believe what the Bible says, that we'll do that. Just a side note, since I mentioned that. I find it so odd... So odd that people who call themselves Christians don't like talking about the Bible. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. If I believed something, I would want to be able to defend it from the Bible and not just listen to what the man tells me every Sunday. And so when we have disagreements as Christians, um, we need to go to the word of God and hash it out because the word of God is clear. It has an answer. It's not okay. I 
I don't think it's okay for Christians to believe a billion different things. I do think we should be unified, and I think that um, the Bible smooths out all of our bad edges that we have, and I still need it to do a lot of that to me. But it does that with our beliefs, and it also does that with our hearts. So let's dig in. Um, there might even be somebody who's listening to this, and maybe you and I have disagreed about something. Let's go to the Word of God and just be corrected on it. It's it's not okay for us not to to agree, and that doesn't mean that I'm right. I might be wrong, but let's see, right? Let's see what it actually says, and um, and trust God to defend His Word and to say what He means. If God wrote something and He wrote it so unclearly that we can't know what it means, what a waste. Is that how God treats the Bible? Is that how Jesus treats the Bible? I don't think so. I think Jesus operates under the assumption that things are very clear and that we are just not listening. And so I want to listen. I want to encourage you to listen. I don't have all the answers. I don't think I'm right about everything. But um, I do think we should keep reading the Bible. And I want to share just some things um, that I've learned in ways that it's helped me. And um, thanks for listening. So have a great evening. Bye.